You're listening to Regen Reports for Puma. What's stopping the textile industry making the move to renewable energy? The interesting thing about climate action is that it can't be a competitive issue, and the fashion industry knows it. Do you think they are doing enough, or you feel like there are certain things that still can be improved? To be honest, I think there's no reason not to do more. They have to do more. They can do more. There's lots of challenges along in the way, but of course, you know, the fashion industry has revamped itself many times. I'm your host, Bertha. I'm a vlogger and curator, and I use creative channels to raise awareness of environmental issues. Not too long ago, I started a fashion label with some friends. At the start, we actually only made around 10 to 20 pieces per collection. But as that summer grew, we started working with a textile factory in China. Because we wanted to do things as sustainably as possible, I actually found the process of choosing a factory was really, really hard. I had so many questions. Like, would the factory understand how to deconstruct and upcycle a piece of clothes? Did they actually have the process to minimize the amount of waste? Would they be open to use different kind of packaging or even just sending fewer samples? We went back and forth with questions like these, but in all our conversations, that's one thing that we didn't really talk about was energy. Honestly, if you ask me, I couldn't even tell you where the factory I'm using gets their energy from. And I spoke with other friends as well. They have labels of their own and they said the same thing. Energy use wasn't the center of discussion, which is crazy. My guess is that it's because so much of the industry, especially big textile centers like China and Bangladesh, is still unfortunately powered by fossil fuels and natural gas. So finding a factory that uses renewable energy is really rare. That's what we're talking about in this episode. What's stopping the textile industry making the move to renewable energy? Today, I'm joined by Lindetta Safari Salihu, who is a fashion industry expert and sustainability advocate for the United Nations Development Programme. Hi, Lindetta. I wanted to ask you, can you share a little bit more about what you do? Hi, Bertha. Thanks so much for having me. It's a great pleasure to be with you today. I work at the UN Climate Change Secretariat. So it's a convention that looks after making sure that climate change remains stable for generations to come. I've been with the Secretariat for 13 years now, so really enjoying the opportunity to talk to young people like yourself about this important topic. So my question is, when we look at Puma, only 11% of their factories are using renewable energy. Why haven't more factories transitioned towards renewable energy? Yeah, so it's, it's a really good question. There's many reasons for it. Sometimes solutions are not readily available. Sometimes they are, but they are not very cheap. So they can hurt the business case, especially for factories that really don't know where to go. Some factories tell us that if they want to switch to renewable energy, they have to take loans um, and those would be private loans and the payback is maybe in 25 years. So it really does not make a lot of sense for them. But I think once there's clear policy signals that that is where the government is going to go, then of course it's much easier for the private sector and financial institutions to use those signals and invest in the right solutions. I agree. 
you mentioned that there are a lot of ready solutions out there. For example, we also talk about solar panels. Why are governments not already implementing that? It's important to really understand the complexities behind this. If we take, for example, the case of Bangladesh, right? You would think there is a lot of sun, so there's an opportunity there for, let's say, lots of solar PVs that will generate electricity for the country. And then you think of a, of a country that does not have a lot of land available for food, right? So you really need to think about how do you balance these types of needs? What is going to be important for a government that needs to provide for the well-being of its population. Uh, then you would say, okay, well, we can maybe put the solar PVs on the rooftops of the buildings. But then the question is, are the buildings stable enough to carry that weight? And, you know, is there a risk of collapsing? Maybe then floating solar panels are the solution for Bangladesh. But at the same time, you have to think the, the GDP of Bangladesh technology is much more expensive today. So then how do you better work with your neighbors as well? In what ways can we buy renewable electricity and energy from uh, neighboring countries? And what does that mean for overall kind of geopolitical situation of the country? So there's lots of considerations to be made there. And I think we shouldn't uh, downplay it. But what we're faced with right now is a situation where we've left these things unattended for a very long time. And now we have to do things fast and the amount of effort that we need to invest is is really becoming very big what would be considered as a radical collaboration that would really create the change in the industry the interesting thing about climate action is that it can't be a competitive issue. And the fashion industry knows it. They know that they cannot do this by themselves. Puma was one of the brands to say, yes, let's do this. Let's bring people together to talk about climate in the fashion industry. And for me, it's been always fascinating to see them work very closely with their competitors in a very open manner. As part of that group, you've got Adidas and uh, Nike and New Balance, etc. And I think really the collaboration there is very good, at least from what I can observe. They are very open with one another. They share solutions with one another very openly. Uh, and they bring each other along when they see that there is an opportunity. And of course, there is a reason for that, right? It's not just because they're, they're nice people, but it's also because at the end of the day, it is their interest because they share the supply chains. So they will need to work collectively to get the supply chain to face these challenges that we're going to have to tackle. And that is, uh, of course, looking at in what way can they support the transition of the supply chain. Is it going to be by providing training opportunities, by giving them opportunities to participate in discussions and creating safe place for having a real and honest conversation about what needs to happen and who needs to do what? Is it about providing some financial incentive or a preferential contract, for example, to suppliers who will take on this task of, of transitioning to renewable energy or looking at perhaps the materials that are not causing any environmental harm, etc. So really, there's no other way but collaboration. It is not working uh, in, in its perfect sense, because as, as human beings, um, it is hard to collaborate very openly and all the time. But I think people are realizing increasingly that it's going to be very important if they are to achieve their goals.
It's great to hear Puma is getting everyone together. Do you think that Puma is doing enough or you feel like maybe there are certain things that still can be improved? Yes, Bertha, that is a, a great question. And the answer is simple. None of us is doing enough today. There's a lot to be discussed there and a lot of work to do. But for the fashion industry, um, to be honest, I think there's no reason not to do more. They have to do more. They can do more. There's lots of challenges along the way. But of course, you know, uh, the, the fashion industry has, has revamped itself many times. And I think fashion industry in particular is really uniquely placed to help us move forward much faster on some of these issues. Do you think that climate action is sort of more in the hands of businesses or corporates or actually in the hands of consumers because there's also a school of thought that's saying actually if consumers demand more sustainable brands, ask to know more information, increase transparency, that actually would shift the market. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, my, my thoughts on that are pretty mixed. Again, we go to this narrative of we all have to do our part. I think we're, we're now past the stage where you can say, okay, they're to be blamed or they're to be blamed and they're not doing enough and they're not doing enough. I think we have to start from ourselves. As consumers, we have to be educated, right? We cannot underestimate what could, for example, a WhatsApp message to a group of friends do if you start asking them the questions about how many garments did you buy this month? Did you really need them? Where did you buy them from? What do you do with it? Do you throw them away? Or I think the climate and sustainability Ability issues need to be items for discussion in every living room. I agree. I mean, I raised that question in my family dinners, even though they kind of just ignore me. <laughs> One side, consumers are not the ones to be blamed only because the brands, of course, use a lot of the marketing and communication strategy to make us want those garments. At the same time, it is on us consumers to really know more, to get more educated and to constructively help the process really as much as possible by trying to communicate with the brands that we use and we buy from, uh, asking them to provide information more publicly. And just think that it's so close to you. It's just not an issue that so far away anymore and obviously we touch on a lot of things that as consumers as investors as brands that we should do what are your thoughts on coming years i think that these are exciting times to live in because we are looking at really uh, a transformed world and i think the, the blueprint for that are two agendas of the UN. One is the Sustainable Development Goals, and the other one is, of course, the Paris Agreement. So if our listeners here don't know what they are, I strongly encourage them to go and look them up, and you will see that what they do is they really project a future that we all want, a future where nobody's left behind, a future where we will all have opportunities for better jobs, for cleaner jobs, for better health, opportunities for better and stronger and more democratic institutions. So I think we know where we need to go and a lot of things are happening right now. I think those that are pretending not to see these issues um, are going to suffer the most in the next couple of years. But I think by 2030, of course, I am very optimistic that the world is going to half emissions, uh, that we are going to see a surge of innovation as well as much as possible. But we are also, as consumers, going to have to rethink our habits as well, uh, in particular, our consumption habits. 
It's recently reported that this year, global warming will tip over 1.5 degree. And with the current action plans that we're seeing, we're actually destined for 2.7 degrees by 2030. Is there still a reason for us to feel optimistic about it? There's a lot of reasons to be hopeful. And so I think that even if you look at the scientific community that provides these assessments on where we are, uh, we can still do this. So there's a lot of reasons to be optimistic about things. And of course, your generation, Bertha, and of course my generation as well, but your generation in particular, has a lot to do to push these things forward as much as possible in a very positive and constructive way. Thank you so much. I think what you said makes a lot of sense because like you said, collaboration comes from everyone and it's within company, between friends, with the government, with the investors. And it's really, we are all part of the system that we can make changes. And I think that really ties up well and why we should be optimistic because we can be part of the change as well. So thank you so much, Linda, today for sharing or your technical explanation and make it very simple for us to understand. Thank you so much, Bertha. Thanks for having me. So it's like a race. We all win or we all lose. And it is not a competition between brands. It should be really you all work together with consumers, the suppliers, the production line, etc. And I think that's a key message after the conversation with Linda that I've learned and I wish all the brands would know as well. I feel like I should really go back to talk to my factories and find out more about what they're doing in terms of transitioning towards at least a more renewable energy choices and really start the conversation and the collaboration from my side as well. I think it's now the time to really, really push forward and do something about it. You've been listening to Regen Reports for Puma. If you liked today's episode, please share it with your friends. That's the best way for us to spread the word about how fashion is becoming more sustainable. There are 10 episodes about different aspects of the fashion industry, from circular fashion to fair wages. Find them all by following Regen Reports wherever you get your podcasts. Puma publishes all of its progress, challenges, and setbacks in its sustainability report. You can find the 2022 report online now by going to about.puma.com. There's only one forever. Let's make it better.